This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Anne Marie Williams on April 28, 2006. The Story Girl by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 27 The Ordeal of Bitter Apples. I never could understand why Felix took Peter's success in the ordeal of the bitter apples so much to heart. He had not felt very keenly over the matter of the sermons, and certainly the mere fact that Peter could eat sour apples without making faces did not cast any reflection on the honor or ability of the other competitors. But to Felix everything suddenly became flat, stale, and unprofitable, because Peter continued to hold the championship of bitter apples. It haunted his waking hours and obsessed his nights. I heard him talking in his sleep about it. If anything could have made him thin, the way he worried over this matter would have done it. For myself, I cared not a groat. I wished to be successful in the sermon contest, and felt sore whenever I thought of my failure. But I had no burning desire to eat sour apples without grimacing, and I did not sympathize over and above with my brother. When, however, he took to praying about it, I realized how deeply he felt on the subject, and hoped he would be successful. Felix prayed earnestly that he might be enabled to eat a bitter apple without making a face, and when he had prayed three nights after this manner, he contrived to eat a bitter apple without a grimace until he came to the last bite, which proved too much for him. But Felix was vastly encouraged. "'Another day or two, and I'll be able to eat a whole one,' he said jubilantly. But this devoutly desired consummation did not come to pass. In spite of prayers and heroic attempts, Felix could never get beyond that last bite. Not even faith and works in combination could avail. For a time he could not understand this. But he thought the mystery was solved when Cicely came to him one day and told him that Peter was praying against him. "'He's praying that you'll never be able to eat a bitter apple without making a face,' she said. "'He told Felicity, and Felicity told me. "'She said she thought it was real cute of him. "'I think that it is a dreadful way to talk about praying, and I told her so. "'She wanted me not to tell you, but I wouldn't promise, "'because I think it's fair for you to know what's going on.' "'Felix was very indignant and aggrieved as well.' "'I don't see why God should answer Peter's prayers instead of mine,' he said bitterly. "'I've gone to church and Sunday school all my life, and Peter never went till this summer. It isn't fair.' "'Oh, Felix, don't talk like that,' said Cicely, shocked. "'God must be fair. I'll tell you what I believe is the reason. Peter prays three times a day, regular, in the morning, and at dinner-time, and at night. And besides that, any time through the day when he happens to think of it, he just prays, standing up. Did you ever hear of such goings-on? Well, he's got to stop praying against me anyhow, said Felix resolutely. I won't put up with it. I'll go and tell him so right off. Felix marched over to Uncle Roger's, and we trailed after, scenting a scene. We found Peter shelling beans in the granary, and whistling cheerily, as with a conscience void of offense towards all men. "'Look here, Peter,' said Felix ominously. 
They tell me that you've been praying right along that I couldn't eat a bitter apple. Now I tell you, I never did, exclaimed Peter indignantly. I never mentioned your name. I never prayed that you couldn't eat a bitter apple. I just prayed that I'd be the only one that could. Well, that's the same thing, cried Felix. You've just been praying for the opposite to me out of spite, and you've got to stop it, Peter Craig. Well, I guess I won't, said Peter angrily. I've just as good a right to pray what I want for as you, Felix King, even if you was brought up in Toronto. I suppose you think a hired boy hasn't any business to pray for particular things, but I'll show you I'll just pray for what I please, and I'd like to see you try and stop me. You'll have to fight me if you keep praying against me, said Felix. The girls gasped, but Dan and I were jubilant, snuffing a battle afar off. All right, I can fight as well as pray. Oh, don't fight, implored Cicely. I think it would be dreadful. Surely you can arrange it some other way. Let's all give up the ordeal anyway. There isn't much fun in it, and then neither of you need to pray about it. I don't want to give up the ordeal, said Felix, and I won't. Oh, well, surely you can settle it some other way without fighting, persisted Cicely. I don't want to fight, said Peter. It's Felix. If he don't interfere with my prayers, there's no need of fighting. But if he does, there's no other way to settle it. But how will that settle it? asked Cicely. Oh, whoever's licked will have to give in about praying, said Peter. That's fair enough. If I'm licked, I won't pray for that particular thing any more. It's dreadful to fight about anything so religious as praying, sighed poor Cicely. Why, there were always fighting about religion in old times, said Felix. The more religious anything was, the more fighting there was about it. A fellow's got a right to pray as he pleases, said Peter. And if anybody tries to stop him, he's bound to fight. That's my way of looking at it. What would Miss Marwood say if she knew you were going to fight? asked Felicity. Miss Marwood was Felix's Sunday school teacher, and he was very fond of her. But this time Felix was quite reckless. I don't care what she would say, he retorted. Felicity tried another tact. You'll be sure to get whipped if you fight with Peter, she said. You're too fat to fight. After that, no moral force on earth could have prevented Felix from fighting. He would have faced an army with banners. You might settle it by drawing lots, said Cicely desperately. Drawing lots is wickeder than fighting, said Dan. It's kind of gambling. What would Aunt Jane say if she knew you were going to fight? Cicely demanded of Peter. Don't you drag my Aunt Jane into this affair, said Peter darkly. You said you were going to be a Presbyterian, persisted Cicely. Good Presbyterians don't fight. Oh, don't they? I heard your Uncle Roger say that Presbyterians were the best for fighting in the world. Or the worst, I forget which he said, but it means the same thing. Cicely had but one more shot in her locker. I thought you said in your sermon, Master Peter, that people shouldn't fight. I said they ought to not fight for fun or for bad temper, reported Peter. This is different. I know what I'm fighting for, but I can't think of the word. I guess you mean principle, I suggested. Yeah, that's it, agreed Peter. It's all right to fight for principle. It's kind of praying with your fists. 
Oh, can't you do something to prevent them from fighting, Sarah? pleaded Cicely, turning to the story girl, who was sitting on a bin, swinging her shapely bare feet to and fro. It doesn't do to meddle in an affair of this kind between boys, said the story girl sagely. I may be mistaken, but I do not believe that the story girl wanted that fight stopped, and I'm afar from being sure that Felicity did either. It was ultimately arranged that the combat should take place in the fir wood behind Uncle Roger's granary. It was a nice, remote, bosky place where no prowling grown-up would be likely to intrude. And thither we all resorted at sunset. I hope Felix will beat, said the story girl to me, not only for the family honor, but because that was a mean, mean prayer of Peter's. Do you think he will? I don't know. I confess dubiously. Felix is too fat. He'll get out of breath in no time. And Peters is such a cool customer, and he's a year older than Felix. But then Felix has some practice. He fought boys in Toronto, and this is Peters' first fight. Did you ever fight? asked the story girl. Once, I said briefly, dreading the next question, which promptly came. Who beat? It is sometimes a bitter thing to tell the truth, especially to a young lady for whom you have great admiration. I had a struggle with temptation in which I frankly confess I might have been worsted had it not been for a saving and timely remembrance of a certain resolution made on the preceding judgment Sunday. The other fella, I said with reluctant honesty. Well, said the story girl, I think it doesn't matter whether you get whipped or not, so long as you fight a good square fight. Her potent voice made me feel that I was quite a hero after all, and the sting went out of my recollection of that old fight. When we arrived behind the granary, the others were all there. Cicely was very pale, and Felix and Peter were taking off their coats. There was a pure yellow sunset that evening, and the aisles of the fir trees were flooded with its radiance. A cool autumnal wind was whistling among the dark boughs and scattering blood-red leaves from the maple at the end of the granary. Now, said Dan, I'll count, and when I say three, you pitch in and hammer each other until one or two of you has had enough. Cicely, keep quiet. Now, one, two, three. Peter and Felix pitched in, with more zeal than discretion on both sides. As a result, Peter got what later developed into a black eye, and Felix's nose began to bleed. Cicely gave a shriek and ran out of the wood. We thought she had fled because she could not endure the sight of blood, and we were not sorry, for her manifest disapproval and anxiety were dampening the excitement of the occasion. Felix and Peter drew apart after that first onset, and then circled about one another warily. Just then, as they had come to grips again, Uncle Alec walked around the corner of the granary with Cicely behind him. He was not angry. There was a quizzical look in his eyes. But he took the combatants by their shirt collars and dragged them apart. This stops right here, boys, he said. You know I don't allow fighting. Oh, but Uncle Alec, it was this way, began Felix eagerly. Peter, no, I don't want to hear about it said Uncle Alec sternly. I don't care what you were fighting about, but you must settle your quarrel in a different fashion. Remember my commands, Felix. Peter, Roger is looking for you to wash his buggy. Be off. 
Peter went off rather sullenly, and Felix, also sullenly, sat down and began to nurse his nose. He turned his back on Cicely. Cicely caught it after Uncle Alec had gone. Dan called her a tell-tale and a baby and sneered at her until Cicely began to cry. "'I couldn't stand by and watch Felix and Peter pound each other all the pieces,' she sobbed. "'They've been such friends, and it was dreadful to see them fighting.' "'Uncle Roger would have let them fight it out,' said the story girl discontentedly. "'Uncle Roger believes in boys fighting. "'He says it's a harmless way as any of working off their original sin. "'Peter and Felix wouldn't have been any worse friends after it. "'They'd have been better friends because of the praying question would have been settled. "'Now it can't be, unless Felicity can coax Peter to give up praying against Felix.' For once in her life the story girl was not as tactful as her wont. Or is it possible that she said it out of malice of prepense? At all events, Felicity resented the imputation that she had more influence with Peter than anyone else. "'I don't meddle with hired boys' prayers,' she said haughtily. "'It was all nonsense fighting about such prayers anyhow.' said Dan, who probably thought that since all chance of fight was over, he might as well avow his real sentiments as to its folly. Just as much nonsense as praying about the bitter apples in the first place. Oh, Dan, you don't believe there is some good in praying? said Cicely reproachfully. Yes, I believe there is some good, in some kinds of praying, but not in that kind, said Dan sturdily. I don't believe God cares whether anybody can eat a bitter apple without making a face. I don't believe it's right to talk of God as if you were well acquainted with him, said Felicity, who felt sure it was a good chance to snub Dan. There's something wrong somewhere, said Cicely perplexedly. We ought to pray for what we want, of that I'm sure, and Peter wanted to be the only one who could pass the ordeal. It seems as if he must be right, and yet it doesn't seem so. I wish I could understand it. Peter's prayer was wrong because it was a selfish prayer, I guess, said the story girl thoughtfully. Felix's prayer was all right because it wouldn't have hurt anyone else. But it was a selfish prayer of Peter to want to be the only one. We mustn't pray selfish prayers. Oh, I see it now, said Cicely joyfully. Yes, but said Dan triumphantly. If you believe God answers prayers about particular things, it was Peter's prayer he answered. What do you make of that? Oh, the story girl shook her head impatiently. There's no use trying to make such things out. We only get more mixed up all the time. Let's leave it alone and I'll tell you a story. Aunt Olivia had a letter today from a friend in Nova Scotia who lives in Shubenacady. When I said I thought it was a funny name, she told me to go and look in her scrapbook, and I would find a story about the origin of the name. And I did. Do you want to hear it? Of course we did. We all sat down at the roots of the firs. Felix, having finally squared matters with his nose, turned around and listened also. He would not look at Cicely, but everyone else had forgiven her. The story girl leaned that brown head of hers against the fir trunk behind her and looked up at the apple-green sky through the dark boughs above us. She wore, I remember, a dress of warm crimson, and she had wound around her a string of waxberries that looked like a fillet of pearls. Her cheeks were still flushed with the excitement of the evening. 
In the dim light she was beautiful with a wild, mystic loveliness, a compelling charm that would not be denied. Many, many moons ago, an Indian tribe lived on the banks of a river in Nova Scotia. One of the young braves was named Acadie. He was the tallest and bravest and handsomest young man in the tribe. "'Why is it they're always so handsome in stories?' asked Dan. "'Why are there never no stories about ugly people?' "'Perhaps ugly people never have stories happen to them,' suggested Felicity. "'I think they're just as interesting as handsome people,' retorted Dan. "'Well, maybe they are in real life,' said Cicely. "'But in stories it's just as easy to make them as handsome as not. "'I like them best that way.' I just love to read a story where the heroine is as beautiful as a dream. Pretty people are always conceited, said Felix, who was getting tired of holding his tongue. The heroes in stories are always nice, said Felicity, with apparent irrelevance. They're always so tall and slender. Wouldn't it be awful if anyone wrote a story about a fat hero or one with too big a mouth? It doesn't matter what a man looks like, I said, feeling that Felix and Dan were catching it rather too hotly. He must be a good sort of chap and do heaps of things. That's all that's necessary. Do any of you happen to want to hear the rest of my story? asked the story girl in an ominously polite voice that recalled us to a sense of our bad manners. We apologized and promised to behave better. She went on appeased. A Katie was all these things that I have mentioned, and he was the best hunter in the tribe besides. Never an arrow of his that did not go straight to the mark. Many and many a snow-white moose he shot, and gave the beautiful skin to his sweetheart. Her name was Shubin, and she was as lovely as the moon when it rises from the sea, and as pleasant as a summer twilight. Her eyes were dark and soft, her foot was as light as a breeze, and her voice sounded like a brook in the woods, or the wind that comes over the hills at night. She and Akady were very much in love with each other, and often they hunted together, for Shubin was almost as skillful with her bow and arrow as Akady himself. They loved each other ever since they were small papooses, and they vowed to love each other as long as the river ran. One twilight, when Akady was out hunting in the woods, he shot a snow-white moose and took off its skin and wrapped it around him. Then he went through the woods in starlight and felt so happy and light of heart that he sometimes frisked and capered about just as a real moose would do. And when he was doing this, Shubin, who was also hunting, saw him from afar and thought he was a real moose. She stole cautiously through the woods until she came to the brink of a little valley. Below her stood the snow-white moose. She drew her arrow to her eye, alas, she knew the art only too well, and took careful aim. The next moment, Akady fell dead with her arrow in his heart. The story girl paused, a dramatic pause. It was quite dark in the fir wood. We could see her face and eyes, but dimly through the gloom. A silvery moon was looking down on us over the granary. The stars twinkled through the softly waving boughs. Beyond the woods we caught a glimpse of moonlight world lying the sharp frost of the October evening. The sky above it was chill and urethral and mystical. But all of us were shadows, 
and the weird little tale told in a voice fraught with mystery and pathos had people them for us with furtive folks in belt and wampum and dark-tressed Indian maidens. "'What did Shubin do when she found out she had killed a Katie?' asked Felicity. "'She died of a broken heart before the spring, and she and a Katie were buried side by side on the bank of the river, which has ever since bore their names, the River of Shubin Akadi, said the story girl. The sharp wind blew around the granary and Cicely shivered. We heard Aunt Janet's voice calling, Children! Children! Shaking off the spell of furs and moonlight and romantic tale, we scrambled to our feet and went homeward. I kind of wish I'd been born an engine, said Dan. It must have been a jolly life with nothing to do but hunt and fight. It wouldn't be so nice if they caught you and tortured you at the stake, said Felicity. No, said Dan reluctantly. I suppose there'd be some drawback to everything, even being an engine. Isn't it cold, said Cicely, shivering again. It will soon be winter. I wish summer would last forever. Felicity likes the winter and so does the story girl, but I don't. It always seems so long till spring. "'Never mind. We've had a splendid summer,' I said, slipping my arm about her to comfort some childish sorrow that breathed in her plaintive voice. Truly, we had had a delectable summer, and having had it, it was ours forever. The gods themselves cannot recall their gifts. They may rob us of our future and embitter our present, but our past they may not touch. With all its laughter and delight and glamour, it is our eternal possession.' Nevertheless, we all felt a little of the sadness of the waning year. There was a distinct weight on our spirits until Felicity took us into the pantry and stayed us with apple tarts and comforted us with cream. Then we all brightened up. It really was a decent world after all. End chapter 27 The Ordeal of the Bitter Apples